Well, again, happy Easter. I think we should clap our hands. It's Easter. It is a day to celebrate. It's a beautiful day. It definitely is the best day on the calendar for a follower of Jesus. And so we're here to celebrate. And I think but some of you might have a question, maybe some of you online or maybe some of you are here today, and you're wondering what exactly are we celebrating? What is this good news that people are talking about? If you're a follower of Jesus, you might understand, but some of you might be tuning in today going, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. What is this really good news that you're talking about? You know, I probably could go on for months and weeks and talk about why Resurrection Day is so special. We probably could just continue till eternity talking about why this day is special. But today I'm just going to bring up three little points and try to share with you what is really significant about Easter. And then I want to answer some questions that you might have about Easter. But I also want to tell you what we're going to do as a church that's going to be kind of fun for the next 50 days. We don't want to just stop with Easter today and say we're going to celebrate Easter once. We're going to celebrate Easter for the next seven weeks. We're going to celebrate Easter for the next 50 days until the day of Pentecost. We're going to go back by the old church calendar that talked about this season that's called Eastertide. It's about taking 50 days to celebrate Easter, not just one day. So we're going to take the old church calendar to celebrate Eastertide, and we're going to combine it with a little creativity from Susie Renzema, and we're going to have a lot of fun the next 50 days. Each week we're going to come to church and we're going to celebrate. And when you leave church today, we want to give you this notebook. A, lo- a notebook that you can do journaling in the month if that's something you would like to do. And along with the journaling, we're going to have a, a scripture guide in there if you want to um, journal a scripture every day during these 50 days. Every one of the scriptures is going to talk about the Holy Spirit. So we thought, let's take the Holy Spirit and gratitude and put it together and want to hand you a notebook and maybe you want to spend the next 50 days thanking God for what he's done but also remembering the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's one of the days, ways we want to celebrate but I kind of want to go back to what are three big things that we're celebrating today? The first thing that we're celebrating is that truly Jesus is the Son of God. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a sign that Jesus is the Son of God. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a display that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that it truly Jesus is perfect, that Jesus is right. The resurrection of Jesus proves that every single thing that Jesus claimed and everything Jesus said was true. The resurrection proves Jesus was true. Now, the resurrection doesn't make Jesus the Son of God. He already was. The resurrection just proves to us that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And that everything that Jesus claimed isn't true. The resurrection's a proof. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1 verse 2. Paul says, God promised this good news 
long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he is shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. And see, that is the second thing we celebrate, that Jesus Christ is the good news. But I want to explain to you the word good news. See, the good news is a Greek word. It's the only Greek word I remember from seminary. So every time I get the opportunity, I'm going to tell you what it means. And I remember the best word to remember in all of Greek. It's the good news, which is euangelion. It's a great word. If you said to somebody, I have some euangelion for you, that means, oh, you're going to tell me some really good news. But it's not good news like you would expect, like maybe they're going to open a new Chick-fil-A in your neighborhood. Or maybe Costco has tires on sale. Euangelion always refers to, th to two things. It refers to, number one, it's an announcement that a new king was born or a new king came into power and he's going to bring salvation, peace, and joy and happiness. Or euangelion can mean it's an announcement that your war has ended. So back in the first century, if somebody said, hey, we have some euangelion for you, they knew it was going to either be an announcement that your war has ended or a new king has come into power that's going to bring you salvation and peace and joy. And see, Jesus became the good news of the new king that was born on Christmas. And on Easter, we celebrate that your war was sin and death has been defeated. That's the good news that we share today. And then there's a third thing. The third thing is, is the resurrection proves to us that God's plan for us worked. That God's plan to bring us salvation worked. It brings up a good question. Well, what was God's plan? See, God's plan was that Jesus would come to this earth to pay for our sins, that he would pay for our debt. See, God wanted a relationship with each and every one of us. God wanted to have a personal relationship with human beings, but because of sin, that was no longer a possibility. See, the Bible's very clear. If a sinful person comes into the presence of a holy and a righteous God, that they will perish, that they will not live. Sinful people cannot be in the same room with a holy God. See, the problem is God has extremely high standards. God was not just going to let anybody into his presence. But God has high standards, but God also has high compassion. He knows there's nothing a person could do to earn or work hard enough to get in his presence. So God said, I'm going to send my son to this earth and that he's going to die in your place. And that when he dies in your place, then you can be reconciled to God through Jesus' righteousness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 4, verse 5. He says, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. See, the bottom line of Easter celebration is that God's plan worked. You might say that's a silly way to describe Easter, that God's plan worked. But I think it's important for us to remember those words that God's plan for Jesus worked as well as God's plan for each of us is going to work when we trust him. There's so many times in our life we wonder, oh, is this going to work out? 
Where's God in the midst of my circumstances? We worry, we fear, we wonder. And Resurrection Day reminds us that God's plans are going to work out. And that's good news for all of us. That in the midst of fear and concern, we can remember that God's plans work out. But Resurrection Sunday always raises another question. It raises a question that if the cross accomplished its purpose, and that I'm now reconciled to God, and that my sins in the past, in the present, in the future, if they're all forgiven, does it really matter how I live my life? I mean, you kind of wonder about Resurrection Day. Does that mean, hey, we can all leave here and do whatever we want because, after all, Jesus died for my sins? Maybe you've asked that question. Maybe you've wondered that question. Does it really matter how I live? I mean, after all, Paul's own words say that you receive salvation as a free gift from God. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder, do we get a free pass to live our life any way we want? See, Christianity is a little bit counterintuitive. See, Christianity is different from every other religion in the world. See, in every other religion in the world, if you want to be a follower of that God, you have to prove yourself first. You have to work really hard to be accepted. And then if you worked hard, you show that you've worked hard, you could become accepted by that religion or by that God. That seems like a normal way things should work. Prove it. And then we'll let you join. See, Christianity is very different. God says, I want to show you my love, and I want to show you my compassion, and I want to show you my mercy. God accepts us before we accepted him. And then our life changes because of what Jesus has done in our life. That's where Christianity is so different. It's counterintuitive. God first accepts us exactly where we are. God accepted me before I changed. God accepted me before I proved to him anything. So does it really matter how I live my life? Now, if you're wondering that question, does it really matter? You're not the first person that asked that question. The Apostle Paul, who I've been quoting during this message, he asked the same question in Romans 6, verse 1. Paul said, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Paul's raised the question, does it really matter? Listen to Paul's answer, though. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in sin? Paul's simple answer is, of course not. It does matter how you live your life. Well, why? See, because when you became a Christian and you received God's resurrection power, God gave you a desire to live your life differently. That's part of salvation. I like the way Greg Kokel says it in his book, The Story of Reality. I think this is a good picture that helps us to see salvation, to see what is happening when we follow Jesus. All right, first of all, I'll let you know, there's a, and, you're, and you're following along in the first sentence, there's an error. It says, Jesus, his path, cross out the word his. All right, because otherwise you'd go home and read that and go, that doesn't make any sense. So let me read it to you. You do not change the way you live in order to get on Jesus' path. Rather, getting on Jesus' path will change the way you live. Christ first catches his fish, then cleanses them. The saying goes, the saying goes, 
let me tell you a story about this. Christ first catches his fish, then cleanses them, the saying goes. Living the kind of life God wants us to live will not be possible until we get God's own life inside of us. See, when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, when you become saved, that we would call it, you get on a new path with Jesus. And once you're on that path, then your life begins to change. But let's go back to Romans 6, verse 1, where Paul says that we become, that we die to sin. What does it mean that we've died to sin? I think that's important to understand because we don't use that kind of vernacular. See, first, dying to sin, that doesn't mean that I've lost all interest in sin. Dying to sin doesn't mean that I'll never be tempted again. Dying to sin doesn't mean that I will never sin again. However, something radically changes for followers of Jesus. Paul continues that thread in Romans 6, and he says in verse 3, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. Now what does all that mean? See, Paul is going to use the imagery of baptism to try to explain to us what happens when we became followers of Jesus Christ. Through the imagery of baptism, he's going to help us understand what does it mean to be on one path and to get on the other path of following Jesus. So the first question is, well, what is the meaning of baptism? See, baptism is a public decoration that a person makes before other people to acknowledge that they are now a follower of Jesus Christ. They are acknowledging at least three things. First, that they believe that Jesus is Son of God. That they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins so they could be reconciled before God. But now they've also repented for their sins. But see, repentance is a unique word. Repentance is way more than just saying, I'm sorry I did something wrong. Repentance also means that your mind has changed. That you've changed your mind about the way that you've been living. To repent for something is bigger than just, I'm sorry I did that. To say, I don't want to do that ever again. I want to live my life differently. So Paul's given this picture of baptism saying when you're baptized, you go under the water as the person that you were before. You go underwater acknowledging, I don't want to do these things anymore. You go underwater saying, I want to be cleansed from the way I lived before. But then you got to come up out of the water. And to come up out of the water, you come out of the water with the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. See, in baptism, the power that raised you out of the water is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Listen to what the Apostle Paul continues to say about the resurrection. This is really helpful. It understands our motivation. See, Paul in Philippians 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul just said that he wants to know Christ and he wants to experience the power of the resurrection. There's two things that Paul wants. He wants to know Christ and experience the power of the resurrection. Why does Paul want those things too, so bad? Because he wants to become just like Jesus. That's Paul's motivation. He wants to become just 
like Jesus. And that's our goal as followers of Jesus, to become just like him. And why does Paul acknowledge that he wants to know Christ better? And why does he acknowledge that he wants to understand and experience the power of the resurrection? Because he's honest. Paul is admitting to the people listening to him that he knows he has to know Christ better and experience the power of the resurrection so he can stop sinning. Paul tells us in Romans 7, verse 15, he said, some things I don't understand about myself. Sometimes I do things that I don't want to do. Paul acknowledges here this big leader in the early church, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, is acknowledging that sometimes he sins. That sometimes he doesn't do things right. But Paul knows if he's going to have any success at stop sinning, he has to know Christ better. And he has to understand the power of the resurrection. See, if you are a follower of Jesus and you occasionally sin, you're kind of like Paul. We all are going to sin occasionally. Even though we don't want to, sometimes we do. Sometimes we're tempted and we sin. None of us want to do that, but that is part of the normal Christian life. That's why repentance is part of the normal Christian life. That's why knowing God and experiencing His resurrection is part of the Christian life. See, the, the mark of victory for a Christian is not just not sinning or not ever being tempted again. The mark of victory for a Christian is the power to say no, to resist temptation. All of us are going to be tempted the rest of our life, and God gives us victory to say no and to release and to resist temptation. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus and he keeps sinning, and your sin really doesn't bother you, it's time to pay attention. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you don't, your life doesn't resemble the life that God has called us to do, then it's time to get a little bit curious and wonder why. See, if you continue to sin and sin doesn't really bother you, I would ask you to consider a couple different options. Number one, are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you just haven't experienced the full power of the resurrection. Maybe you just don't understand what the, power of the can, what the power of the resurrection can do in your life. See, I'll be honest with you. I grew up in a Christian family. I probably went to church probably the week after I was born. I went every Sunday, probably twice on Sunday. I tell you, if our church, if the doors were open, we went. I went to Christian school my entire life. I took one class in a public school, and that was driver's training. All my education in my life was Christian education and church. Now, if anybody would know Christ in the power of the resurrection, you think it would be me. After all, I grew up in church. I went to Christian college. You would think that I knew Christ in the power of the resurrection. Tell you the truth is I honestly thought I did. I always thought I did. I thought from a little boy I knew Christ in the power of the resurrection. I would have called myself a Christian, even though if you would have looked at how I lived my life during high school and college, you would have said, that doesn't resemble the Christian life at all. And it didn't. 
See, my main problem wasn't just my sin. My main problem was it didn't bother me at all. I didn't want to get caught. I didn't want to get busted for drinking. And my... But it didn't bother me that God saw everything I was doing. If you had asked me the question that Paul brought up to say, now that we are saved, do we keep on sinning so we can experience more and more grace? I would have said, absolutely. Keep on sinning. In fact, I literally remember in high school, in my Christian high school, hanging with my friends at parties saying, isn't it wonderful? We're Christians and we can do whatever we want to do and still go to heaven. I totally thought, I'm like, Paul, you're wrong. Do whatever you want to do. There's a little teeny little part of me that thought maybe I could live different, but I wasn't big enough to ever change anything. But what changed my life is when I began to understand the power of the resurrection. I had no idea what that was about before. I knew a lot about Jesus. I probably could have passed some biblical test, a Bible test. Hope so. But I had no idea the power of the resurrection. It wasn't until a friend of mine, I didn't really know him that well, sat down with me one night and told me how he had experienced the power of the resurrection in his own life. He shared with me his story of how he began to know Christ and experience the power of the resurrection. To use the illustration that Greg Kokel that I repeated earlier, he taught, my friend talked to me how he was on one path for his life and suddenly he got on a new path. And how God had been changing his life and changing his heart and changing his desires and how he was now experiencing the power of the resurrection. The story he shared with me was this beautiful story, this convergence of his own pain and his own suffering and his own mistakes and his, so sin, and his own sin with the power of God. He shared with me how God met him. And how God changed his life. Not because of anything he had done to earn it or to deserve it. Or because he worked really hard for it. It was the grace of God. It was the euangelion of God came to him with grace and mercy and showed him there's a new way to live your life. It was a beautiful story of restoration. A beautiful story of wholeness. It was a beautiful story when you say that the gospel is the power of heart-changing regeneration. That was the story he was telling me. And I sat there and thought, I want that to happen to me. I want to experience the power of the resurrection in my life. I was kind of like Paul at that moment when I was listening to him, thinking, I want to know the Christ you know, and I want to experience that resurrection power that you experienced in your life. 
See, the power of the resurrection doesn't mean it's back to January 1 and we get to make some New Year's resolutions. The power of the resurrection has nothing to do with, boy, after I listen to my friend, I'm going to try harder now. No, the power of the resurrection isn't some new desire to set and establish new goals. The power of the resurrection is when God comes in your life and does the same thing to you that he did to Jesus. He raises them from the dead and gives them a new light, a new life. But in order to understand the fullness of the power of the resurrection, get a little drink. Now, in order to understand the full power of the resurrection, we need to understand the full power of Good Friday. What happened on Good Friday? Now, if you're here on Good Friday or you listened online, you, you got this message. You got this meditation. So I'm going to take that 15-minute message and boil it down to two minutes. So if you heard this online, you can go get a snack right now. Or if you, heard this, if you were here last Friday, you can take a two-minute nap. Two-minute intermission. Because the big question that we have on Good Friday is you ask somebody, what is Good Friday all about? They'll tell you, that's the day Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. Okay, that's a good answer. But how did that happen? How did Jesus suddenly pay for my sins on the cross? I don't get how that exchange really happened. See, if you go back in history, you go back to the first century, killing a person on a cross or crucifying on a cross, that was a common practice that they did in those days. If you, had to, if you were sentenced to death on a cross, they, what they would do is they would put you on that cross and then they would get a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, they would write down every single thing that you did wrong. We kind of call it a rap sheet in our culture. It's a legal document that they would have put on top of Jesus' head and nailed that to the cross so everybody that could walk by could see exactly what Jesus did wrong. You could walk by and see, read that list and say, oh, that's why he's on the cross. Look at all the things that he did wrong. Situation was, Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus was innocent. Jesus hung on that cross as a completely innocent man. That piece of paper above Jesus' head would have been empty. There would have been nothing written on that piece of paper. But see, something wonderful happened when Jesus hung on the cross. While Jesus hung on the cross and everybody wondered, where is God? What is God doing right now? God was doing something very special for each of us in this room and each person listening online. God spent the six hours that Jesus was on the cross collecting everybody's rap sheet that would someday be in heaven. God was finding my rap sheet of all my offenses. And he's taking it. And each person here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what God did that day, he took your rap sheet. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but someday you will be. He took your rap sheet. And while Jesus was on the cross, he took your rap sheet and he nailed it to the cross above Jesus' head. That's how your sins transfer to Jesus. 
because God nailed them to the cross. Listen to how Paul describes it in Colossians 2, verse 13. He says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all of our sins having canceled the charges of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. See, that's what God was doing the six hours Jesus was on the cross. He was getting a list of everything all of us had done wrong and will ever do wrong, and he nailed it to the cross. That's how our sins got put on Jesus. But it gets even better. Jesus didn't die on the cross because of the torture. He did not die on that cross because he gave up too much blood. He didn't die on the cross because they beat him. He didn't die because they stabbed him with that sword in the side. He didn't die because of pain of the nails in his hands. He died because of the sins, our sins that were put on him. You might remember Jesus' final words. He says, it is finished. The Greek word for that, actually better translation is, paid in full. Because back in the first century, after a person died on the cross, the officials would take a big stamp and they would mark the rap sheet paid in full. That's why Jesus died, because of the sins were placed on him. And at the right time when all the sins were paid, Jesus says, paid in full. And then he died. John, the Apostle John says in chapter 19, verse 30, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's how we got off that path that we were on, and we got on that new path with Christ. Because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. A lot of us have a big question. How do we stay on that new path? You know, Paul said, I, I want to know Christ better. I want to experience the power of the resurrection. That's the only thing that's going to keep me on this path. It's not some more willpower or tenacity, but it's to know Christ and experience his resurrection. The problem that we all run into is that when we're raised from the dead, we don't look a lot like Jesus. Instead, when we're raised from the dead, we look a little bit more like Jesus' friend Lazarus. Some of you might know the story about Lazarus. I would, I would read it all, but I don't want to go over time. Lazarus was a very good friend of Jesus. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. You probably heard stories about them if you've been in church for a while. And one day Jesus heard word that, uh, that Lazarus was really sick. 
And his sisters had asked Jesus to come and to pray for Lazarus because they knew that Lazarus would probably die. Jesus didn't hurry over. It took him a while to get to Lazarus' house to pray for him. But by the time Jesus got to Lazarus' house, he is already dead. And they already did the funeral, and he was already buried. So when Jesus comes down the street and he sees Mary and Martha, they're not too happy. They're thinking, Jesus, why didn't you come here a few days earlier? And they're crying, and everybody is upset. And so Jesus, so the Apostle John records the story in John 11. And in verse 23, Jesus says to Martha, he says, Your brother will rise again. And then a couple verses later, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And a few verses later, Jesus says, roll the stone aside. Jesus is outside of Lazarus' grave, and there's a big stone over it, and Jesus says, roll the stone away. And you think his sisters would have been really excited, like, wow. But what does Martha say? I love Martha. Martha says, Jesus, Jesus. Lazarus has been dead for four days. The smell is going to be terrible. <laughs> I love Martha. She's so practical. Jesus, stop. He's been dead for four days. He's going to stink. I mean, Jesus is on the verge of doing this huge miracle, and his sister stops him. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's going to smell. Lazarus was in the tomb for a few days. And Lazarus is not going to come out like Jesus. Lazarus is going to come out and he's going to be a little bit stinky. But he's also going to be wrapped in grave clothes. The truth is, when you and I were resurrected from the dead, we looked a little bit more like Lazarus than we did Jesus. We were wrapped in grave clothes and a little bit stinky. But Jesus... He's not intimidated by the smell of Lazarus. And that's good news for each of us. So John continues his story in verse 41. And he says, So they took the stone. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is such a beautiful instance illustration that you can be resurrected and still bound up and still be bound up that you can be resurrected from the dead by Jesus and you still stink a little bit and you still need some help getting unbound 
See, Lazarus, he needed a lot of help. So what did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, now go home, Lazarus, and take a shower and get some new clothes and then come back and we'll have a party? He didn't do that. Jesus said to Lazarus' friends, he said, you go to him and unbind him. You help him get off those grave clothes. Jesus said, to, Jesus said to Lazarus, friends, you need to go help that brother. He's a mess. You need to help him. Some of you are really sincere Christians, and you're dedicated followers of Jesus Christ, and you love Jesus, and you want to be like him. but you're still a little bound up. That happens. Especially it happens when we try to do it on our own. Especially it happens when we try to do that Christian life on our own and try to take care of our own grave clothes and our own smell and try to take care of it all on our own. That's why community is so important. That's why one reason the last year of COVID has been so difficult because so many of us have been isolated and we haven't been around our friends in our community that helps us to get free and to stay free. I think as we enter into this new season of celebrating these next 50 days of Easter, it's important that we rely and we get in community. See, I love how the Apostle Paul, when he said, I want to know Christ, he didn't say, I want to know Christ and I need to receive more power. There's nothing wrong with receiving more power. But Paul said, I want to understand Christ and I want to understand and experience the resurrection. Paul's acknowledging everything I have is available to me. I just need to understand it a little bit better. That's my goal for us as we go into this next 50 days, as we go into this time that we start looking and, and talking about the Holy Spirit. Remember, we remember it is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into our life to keep us on track. I think it's important that we go through the Scripture journal. Maybe, maybe Scripture journaling is not your thing. I'd say give it a try for a couple days. If it's not, well, then you got an excuse. But at least give it a try. Read these scriptures on the Holy Spirit because that is the power of the resurrection that keeps us on this track. I think it's so important for us to spend this time in gratitude, remembering what Christ has done so we can live in the power of the resurrection. I'm going to ask Libby and Adam to come back up. They're going to lead us in communion. They're going to lead us in a song before communion. And I don't know, does everybody here that wants to participate in communion have one of these? If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to participate. And if you're at home and you want to participate in, in communion and you don't have one of these, you know, you don't have to exactly have the church ones. You could have a sip of water and a little cracker. You have something to drink and something to eat. Just take it. It's just symbolism that we use. Ron, can you get that communion... Um, um, in the back and walk down the aisle if nobody's received that. Yeah, 
If you haven't got one of these and you want to participate, Ron, one of our elders, will give you one. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and you've never done this before. Maybe you've never participated in communion. Maybe today would be your first time where you say, I want to know Jesus, and I want to experience the power of the resurrection. Maybe this would be your first communion. It would be a great day to become a follower of Jesus on Easter Sunday in 2021. Maybe God's doing that. Maybe God's doing in your heart the same thing that he did to the Apostle Paul. He says, I want to know this Christ and the power of the resurrection. I want to experience repentance because I don't want to live my life the way I've been doing it before. And to participate in communion, we do this to remember what Christ has done in the past. Because when we remember what Christ has done in the past, it gives us strength for tomorrow. So they're going to lead us in a song, and then we're going to take communion together. So I give you a minute to fidget with this thing because it's awkward. There's a little cellophane label on the top that you pull back, and then the wafer's there. That's the hardest part. And then... You do the next one, you rip that, and you get to the grape juice. But we're going to do this after the song. Because it's always important before communion that we just don't kind of rush into it and like uh, take it like a snack. But we remember of what Christ did on the cross. It's good to remember the legal documents that were against me that were nailed to the cross when Jesus was on there. See, every follower of Jesus, we should have been the ones on the cross. We should have been the ones beaten and stripped and nailed to the cross. But instead, we weren't. Our sins were nailed to the cross. So as they lead us in this next song, just if you want to sit or stand, however you want to do it, let's remember what Jesus has done for us. And let's all ask God that we would experience more of this resurrection power and that we would understand it.